Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining the chapel live stream today. Would you please join us in worship?
Let's sing before the throne. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my sin and condemnation is traded in. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the gift of empowerment through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the righteousness of Christ that is freely given to us. It is the free gift of God, your word says. And there's there's just so much mystery to that. Um, but we sing of it to remind ourselves. We sing of it to tell others and we sing of it to remind the enemy that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for we are hidden with Christ in God Lord I thank you for this time of worship I thank you that you're with us I thank you that you love us and that you are glorified and your presence and your power goes forth through our praises and through the preaching of your word And God, um, may our hearts just be prepared for the message that's coming from Pastor Doug. May we receive um, what you will speak through him and anoint him. God, empower him, enlighten him just to speak truth from his heart um, straight from the throne room of God. Um, And may we be equipped, Lord, to go out into the week, to go out into the world and to be ready 
for what the enemy may throw at us, to be ready to speak a better word to people around us who are in need of a better word in the times that we live. And we thank you, Lord, and we praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. We welcome you to the chapel. We're very happy that you could be here with us today. Um, I'd like to go ahead and pray. I know Marie's just prayed for us, and I want to thank, thank them for the prayer and for the singing together. But I'd like to also just pray as we come to the scriptures. We're going to be looking at Genesis 17, 1 through 18, 5 and our 18, 15 in our time together this morning. And again, let's, look, let's just look to the Lord in prayer as we move into this particular text on Abraham. Father, we rejoice that we can be people of great hope. Lord, it's, it's really hard sometimes. We look around at our world right now, and hope is not the first word that we think of. We, we look at a world where the pandemic and the fear of a pandemic lingers everywhere. There's confusion often about the details and the best way to proceed. Father, we, we look at our world, a world that cries out for justice. And, and, and yet, Lord, a world also that cries out for law and order. And Father, again, our, our officials struggle with how to proceed. Lord, we as your people, we need to rest in you. We need to center our lives on the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ. On the things that, that give perspective in a world that's confused so that we can move into this world with love for all, with a deep sense that there must be order. And so, Father, I, I pray. I pray for our government officials. I pray for our president. I pray for our governors. I pray for our mayors. Father, I pray for our police officers. It's, it's a... It's an almost impossible position that so many of them find themselves in right now. Lord, I pray for our Congress as they make decisions, that, that they will be thoughtful, wise, appropriate decisions. Lord, we need your mercy as a nation. We need your perspective as your people. And Father, as we come to your word today, we pray that you would Teach us what you have for us from the life of Abraham. May our hearts be focused on you and the wonder of what you can do in our lives. For Father, our hope does not ultimately come in men. Our hope comes in you and in you alone. Father, I would continue to pray for those in our church and our, and our extended family that are struggling with sicknesses. And, and we would continue to pray for our dear, for Marty, Lord, that you continue to work in his situation. And Lord, as I just found out this morning, I pray for Hannah. Lord, as she has a uh, burst appendix that, 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 that she is now in the hospital, perhaps even having surgery as we, as we meet here now, that you'll grant great wisdom to the doctors and, and protection for her, and quick restoration. She's a young mother that wants to nurse, and, and Father, just work wonderfully through that situation. And, and through all of our, 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 our church members, Lord, and our extended family, Lord, we want you to be glorified. We want you to be seen. We want you to be magnified in the way we live, and what we say, and what we do. Father, do your good work in our lives for your glory and the good of your people. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I have a problem. I've had this problem all my life. I hate to wait. I remember sitting at the table when my mom brings, brought out all the food, and I have a big family, eight kids, and, and, and 
she would look at me and say, Dougie, now at least she can call me that. Dougie, you have to wait. I don't know. I've never quite gotten over that one. I don't like to wait. I don't like to go to the grocery store and have to wait in line six feet behind everybody in front of you, right? You know, we, 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 we get it. I mean, I, we, we live in a world and I just, I don't like waiting. My guess is you don't either. And our culture doesn't help. I mean, uh, our computers are instant. Our phones are instant. We want this now, information here. It just, it just, it pushes us to be people that want instant gratification, The problem is the Christian life doesn't quite work that way, does it? I want you to think for just a moment in your own life. What are some of those areas where you say, you know, God has made promises to me about transforming my life from the inside out, about getting victory over that particular sin, Seeing that loved one transformed as I seek to evangelize them. They've been away from God so long and I've been praying and praying and praying and I don't know if it makes any difference. And we all have areas of our life where we say God has promised us something and I'm tired of waiting for it. It's true at the individual level. That's true at the corporate level, do you know? The people of God for 2,000 years have been crying out for God to come so that his glory might be seen, that his holiness might be seen, that, that, that there might be true justice in this world. You go to a place like Luke 18 and you, you, you have this wonderful text where God calls us to be people that wait because he will act. And we keep saying, I don't want to wait. I want God to act right now. So whatever your situation, wherever you find yourself, what it is that you're waiting for God to do that's consistent with his promises. But what I know is that waiting is part of his plan. So come with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. And we will meet a man who knows what it means to wait. Abraham, we would say, comes to faith in God when he's 75 years of age. When we come to Genesis chapter 17... He is 99 years old. He has been given promises by God for almost 25 years. Do you remember? God told him, step out in faith and trust me. And he does. And God says, I'm going to give you all kinds of land and more Descendants than you can possibly even count. Look at the stars. It's as many as them. (laughs) And Abraham is now 99. He's been waiting for almost 25 years. And he goes, I don't even have one star. It's a challenge. Oh, I, I should say he has a star of a sort. He has a son by the name of Ishmael. And in chapter 17, Ishmael is 13 years old. You heard his story last week about his birth. And so, so Abraham and Sarah had kind of taken things into their own hands and they thought, look, okay, we need an heir. It's not going to happen through Sarah. So let's do it through Hagar. And, and Ishmael comes, is born out of that whole situation. And, and he, he was born when Abraham was 86. It's 13 years later. Ishmael is there, 13-year-old boy. And that's all Abraham has. And with that in mind... God, whose timing is always perfect. He's never early. 
but he's always right on time. In chapter 17, God comes and meets with Abraham. Look at how the text opens up. Um, what you're going to find in this, in chapter 17 and 18 is two appearances of God where he specifically is going to talk to Abraham about the birth of Isaac. And the other thing I want you to notice as we read this passage is watch all of the name changes or name designations that are given. How does God describe himself? What name does he give himself? What name will he give Abram, he's still Abram, he's not Abraham yet. What name will he give Abram? What name will he give Sarai? What name will he give this child, Isaac? I mean, everybody's being named throughout this passage. Names are pretty significant. They tell us something about what God is actually doing. So, look at chapter 17. And let me just begin reading the first three verses. When Abraham was 99 years old, he's been at this thing for 24 years. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham's must be going like, man, we need, a, we need major multiplication here, you know, to increase these numbers. Abraham fell face down, and then God spoke with him. So one of the things, God comes to Abraham again, a man who has been waiting and waiting and waiting for the promises of God, actually has even tried to help God in the process, which hasn't gone so well. And so here he is waiting on God and God comes and says, Abraham, I'm going to do something in your life. It's not about you doing it. It's about me doing it. What you need to do is to walk faithfully before me. You know, at one level that's really hard, but at another level it takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Because at the end of the day, I can't change things anyway. Only God can. So God comes and says, you do what you can do, and I will do what only I can do. Abraham, that's how it needs to work. And when Abraham hears that, he falls down on his face. He's going to fall down twice in this passage. Falls down before God, thinking... With all of his problems, Abraham is a true believer. And so he responds in submission to God. What does God say to him here then when we pick up here in verse 4, 4 and following? Listen to what he says. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Abraham must be thinking like, I'd be happy just with one at this point. But folks, it's a really important statement. You will be a father of many nations. You already have something being said about Abraham that is going to move beyond ethnic Jews. It's going to expand beyond that. Paul is going to pick up on that statement in Romans chapter 4 to talk about the fact that Abraham is the father of faith not only of Jews, but of Gentiles also. You already have that indicated for us right here in this passage. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. And the word Abram just means a, a, a exalted father. Now, you're going to be a father of a whole multitude, which is what the, which is what the word Abraham means. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. <laughs> How do you think Abraham's hearing that? Here he is. He does have one boy, Ishmael. He's looking around. He's thinking, oh, okay. I mean, 
You have to take that by faith. Abraham will never see the fullness of that in his lifetime. Bible goes on to say, I will make you very fruitful, God says. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And Abraham's on all four before God, laying before God, and God says, I am going to do something, Abraham, beyond what you can ever imagine. And actually beyond what you will actually ultimately see in your lifetime. You will be the father of many nations. Kings will come from you. And all the land around that you see beyond where you can see. This land will be the land of your people one day. Then in verses uh, 5. Down through uh, verses 9 down through verse 14. God God initiates the practice of circumcision for for Abraham and for his descendants. Basically, he says this. I want to be in a covenant relationship with you. What that means is in your heart, you have no other allegiance but to me. You are committed to me. You are submissive to me. You are set apart to me, holy before me. That, that's what I want, Abraham, for you. That's what I want for all of your descendants. And what I want you to do is a sign, the sign of circumcision, where the foreskin is removed as a physical sign and expression, as a picture of, if you will, as a sign of the heart that is in covenant relationship with me. So Abraham, you need to be circumcised. Ishmael needs to be circumcised. All the male servants need to be circumcised. Everybody in your household needs to be circumcised. That's what he says here in verses 9 to 14. Notice then in verse 15, God now again is speaking to Abraham. And so he's given him this this big picture of many nations, all this land, what I ask you to do out of a heart that is committed to me, I want you to engage in this picture, this sign of heart of a heart that is committed and, 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 and given over to me. Watch the rub that comes in the next verse. The Bible says in verse 15, because like, how's God going to do all this? God also said to Abram, Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you, are no, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Everybody's getting new names. Do you see that? Abraham, now when you hear your name mentioned, you ought to always be thinking of my promises that I'm going to give you. Sarai, your name is going to be Sarah. And what that means is, You're a very special princess through whom I'm going to do something very special. Look at what he says. I will bless her and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Now, how do you think Abraham's going to respond to this one? Well, he does fall down, but he also does something rather interesting. Look in verse 17. Abraham fell face down, but this time he laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? So Sarah's 90, Abraham's almost a hundred. And Abraham said to God, 
If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Do you know what's happening here? This is very important. God has given this big picture again of what God's going to do through Abraham. And, and, and Abraham is trusting in that somehow. And when God says, I'm going to actually do it through Sarah, Abraham falls down before God, but this time he just chuckles quietly to himself. <laughs> and he thinks to himself, that's impossible. I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on. A hundred-year-old guy with a 90-year-old woman? Hello? That doesn't happen. Now, he doesn't say that to God. He thinks that to himself. To God, he says this. God, I do have a son. And you said that you would do all this through my son. Ishmael is my son. He's not through Sarah, but he's my son. He's 13 year old, years old. I can see him. We can kind of get moving with this whole thing. And we can, in a couple years, look for a wife for him and speed the whole thing up. What does God say in response to that? Verse 19. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And you will call him Isaac. You know what the word Isaac means? <laughs> it means laughter. Abraham fell on his face and he laughed at the idea that God would accomplish his ultimate purposes in a way that's impossible. And he laughs. And so God says, I want your son to be called laughter. So whenever you see Isaac in the future... One of the things you'll remember is that you laughed when I said this. God goes on to say this. I will establish my covenant with him, with Isaac, the son that will be born, as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. Not nations, but a nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Now we have a time frame. God says in one year from now, Sarah will bear a child. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. So this is the first appearance. God comes and he gives him the big picture, many nations and all this land. And, uh, and also, by the way, this is still going to happen through Sarah. And Abraham, <laughs> come on, what? I, I, no, I, we got this. God says, no. Abraham, you must believe me both for the ultimate and the process to get there. You must believe me. I have something special for Ishmael, but the special covenant promise will come through Isaac. And God leaves. So what does Abraham do? Does he um, demand that God show up again quickly? Does he, what's it, I mean, what's he do? You know what he does? I love this. I love this. In verses 23 to 27, Abraham does the one thing he can do. He obeys God. Because God had said, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. These are my promises. This is what I'm doing. What you need to do is walk with me. I've asked you to initiate this picture of circumcision. So you know what Abraham does in verse 23 to 27? He seeks to be faithful to God where he is 
as he waits for God to do what only God can do. Do you see? On that very day, I mean, he, I mean, this guy doesn't wait for a second. On that very day, verse 23, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household and, and circumcised them as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. I won't talk much about that one, but that, that, that would be something in itself. We'll continue. And his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his house or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. So Abraham, after hearing all this from God, after questioning some things along the way, as we all do, Abraham simply obeyed. And he was faithful to what God called him to do. And it wasn't an easy task. I've often wondered, how would you like to hear that discussion when God called all the men together from his household? Guys, we're all going to be doing something together today. And it's not going to be that easy. But Abraham had them do it. God, in his grace, appears again to Abraham. And this time, he specifically wants to make sure that Sarah knows what he's going to do. So listen to what happens here in chapter 18. The Bible says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. That is where Abraham had built an altar. That's where he's living. He's right there. And, 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 and God is going to actually come there and visit him again. But this time he's going to do it in the form of three beings. That look like humans. But Abraham knows there's more going on than just three guys that happen to be wandering around where he is. He knows there's something very special about these three and he's going to find that especially as, as, as one speaks. Verse 2. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. So came out of his tent one day and, whoa. Where did those three guys come from? Oh boy. They're not three normal guys. There's something really special going on here. Okay. When he saw them... He hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them. And when he got down there, he bowed down to the, on the ground before them. No, no. He knew he was in the presence of, of, of God's messengers and emissaries at this particular point. He said, if, if I have found favor in your eyes, Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and, and then you may wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. You kind of get a picture here that Abraham's saying like, hey, sit down. You know, we got a couple snacks in the pantry. And, you know, we'll kind of give you a couple chips and maybe grapes. And, you know, then you guys can sip on some of the water and kind of be on your way. <laughs> oh, no, man. The, he prepares a feast for them at this point. I mean, he goes all out. It's crazy. Verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said. Get three seahs of, of, of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. I mean, she's making enough bread for an army. There's, I mean, there's three guys out there. Then he ran to the herd, selected a choice tender calf, gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set them before them. I mean, this was a feast for these guys. This was no afternoon snack. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. So that's kind of the setting. 
Abraham knows this is a special bunch. I, I, I want to feed them and I want to hear from them. The next statement is kind of interesting to me. Listen to what the one individual says to Abraham. He says, where is your wife, Sarah? Actually, they all, they all ask that. Where is Sarah? And I think it's interesting that all three of these emissaries address Sarah as Sarah and not Sarai. Do you see? So, so her new name is, is also mentioned by them in relationship to her. Abraham responded, well, she's right there behind me in the tent. So the tent's behind. Abraham was standing at the tent and they say, so where's, where's Sarah? Which means we want to say something that she will hear. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. So Sarah's back there and she's hearing the same thing that was said before about her having a son. I mean, Abe had pro- I'm sure had, Abraham had certainly shared that with her. But now she's hearing it again directly. Abraham and Sarah, the narrator, Moses tells us this. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. You see what he's doing? Tells the story, Sarah's listening to the same, almost the same words that God had said directly to Abraham before. And the narrator steps out of the storyline for just a moment and says, look, just so everybody knows, she can't have kids. <laughs> She's too old, he's too old, it's just not going to happen, all right? So Sarah, verse 12, how does she respond to all this? I guess you could say she takes a clue from her husband. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? So she's back there and she's heard what Abraham has said. But she is resisting believing this too. And, and I'm not saying that part of her doesn't want to believe it. But part of her is resisting believing it too. And all she can do is go, <laughs> oh boy, that's a good one. Or something like that. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Now, clearly, one of these emissaries is speaking, and there's no question he's speaking directly for God. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Can you imagine how Sarah felt at that moment? (laughs) She's back there, and she's just quietly in the tent going, (laughs) oh boy. And and, and, and now this one emissary, now really God through this, through this, this theophany, we would call it, says, why did Sarah laugh? And say, will I really have a child now that I am old? And here's the verse for the title of the message. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year. And Sarah will have a son. Now, Sarah's taken back at this point. She's afraid. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, ah, I, I, I didn't laugh. Probably not the best thing to say to God when he's already heard you. But he said, yes, you did. And so what we find again, both Sarah and Abraham, both people of faith. I mean, Abraham, I mean, Sarah came with Abraham in this whole trip. Yes, they struggled. Yes, they doubted. Yes, they had challenges along the way. That's all true. And, and, and in these moments, again, when God says, even though you've been waiting now for 25 years, I'm going to do this. They both laugh. But here's the point, folks. 
in the midst of all of that, what we need to do rather than laugh is to merely faithfully obey. Do what God calls us to do and leave the results with him. Our tendency when we have to wait is to laugh. And God will remind not just them, will remind all of us that we tend to be like By naming the son Isaac, laughter. Now that laughter is going to be a laughter of joy when he's actually born. I get that. But it's also a reminder of a lack of faith. Or a struggling faith. Although it's an advancing faith. So what's the point? You know what I was thinking? I was thinking that we know so much more than Abraham. I mean, as hard as this was for them, that, that the idea of a woman that, 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 that can no longer bear children, that she, that she could actually get pregnant, that's such a hard thing to, to imagine. But there will come another one. And a young woman will be told in that situation that you will bear a son without a man. And you know how she responded in Luke's gospel? She said, be it unto, the, be it unto your servant as you have said. And she simply obeyed. She, I mean, how... Mary didn't have any idea how that was all going to work out. God had made a promise and a statement. The world had been waiting for this great Messiah figure to come, to turn everything on its heels, to transform the world, to do all these things. And the way that would happen again, the way all that great stuff would happen, would be through a virgin birth this time. And God calls his people, called Mary in the midst of that, just be faithful and let me do what only I can do, which will then accomplish also what only I can do. You stay faithful. And brothers and sisters in Christ, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Where it needs to begin with you is where you bow the knee to Jesus Christ and you say, forgive me of my sins. Please be my Lord and Savior. Be swept into God's family and let him set you on a journey of faith with him. Believer, with us here today. What is that promise of God out there that you're frankly tired of waiting for? That you're not sure that God can pull off. That you only, you only really want to laugh about it at this point. No. Is anything too hard for God? Rest assured when God makes a promise. God is a God of his word. And what he calls us to do is to faithfully do our part. So so you may be out there today and you say, what does that mean? Does that mean you you spend time with God's people? You spend time in God's word? When you read something in God's word, you say, if that's what he wants me to do, you just do it. You say, hey, I've, I've never even been baptized. If God tells you to do it and you're a Christian, then just do it. You say, um, I, I'm really busy. Uh, I, I don't know if I have time to be involved in small groups and, and, and meeting with other men. No, God says you need that. So just do it. You do what God has called you to do faithfully now before him. By his strength, just do those things that he calls you to do. And then you watch and wait what he does in the lives of that loved one or that friend who you've been praying for for, for 10, 15 years. Or, or that sin habit that you've been struggling with for a decade or more. And you say, I don't know how, if I can ever get victory over that. I, 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 
Do what God calls you to do by his grace and watch him act in his time to accomplish his purposes for his glory and for your good. And he will do it. Is anything too hard for God? We know in our head, no. But often in our experience, we kind of want to laugh. Don't laugh. Faithfully rest in him, waiting for his promises to be accomplished in his way, in his time, for his glory. Let's pray. Father, none of us like to wait. We would like to have answers to prayer yesterday. And yet, God, you call us to be a people that wait. You call us to people, be people that come back before you and bring our requests to you and pray before you and, and, and give, give you our burdens and share with you our uncertainties and fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ about the same Call us to come humbly before you and simply obey. Father, if we will do that by your spirit, we will see in your time you doing the things that only you can do that are in accordance with your great promises. So Father, for all of us who feel like we're in a waiting pattern, May we be faithful now and wait on the God who is the God Almighty. In Christ's name I pray, amen.